0: I do have a video, but if we don't, if we don't, it's okay. God knows what he's doing, amen? That's a pretty sad Pentecostal church. God knows what he's doing, amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but it wasn't a whole bunch of people in the upper room that started the book of Acts. It doesn't take a whole lot of people to have a shout for glory, amen? Man, that's still not a good (laughs) amen, dude. Do I need, like, we need to take a coffee break and donut break, and it'll be, like, required that everybody eat a donut, everybody drink some coffee, Get woke up really nice and good so that we can hear the word of God this morning. Well, we are returning uh, to Mark's gospel. Uh, If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be chapter 15. Uh, Believe it or not, I'm going to close out chapter 15 today. So we just got one chapter left in the name of Jesus. Some of you, you've been begging like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready for something new, but we've got to finish where we're at. You know, I think oftentimes... uh, I see, see, you know, oftentimes I think, at least with me, I'm guilty of starting a lot of things and not finishing it at times, Uh, especially when it comes to series and stuff. I get bored, too, and I want to move on to something else. But this is one where, I don't know about you, but I've been growing along, I think, with you and uh, uh, studying the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, um, unfolding and unpacking. Some of this has been good for me. So we are returning back into Mark's gospel. These are the final days of the life of Jesus we're one chapter from finishing this whole thing off, and today we're going to discuss, and again, like it was like last week where it's, it's hard. It's not necessarily like I'm bringing you a sermon to hammer you. I'm not bringing you something to which I just beat you over. It's just that we're at the part now where we talk about the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus. There's just no way to pretty that up. I can't make it what it's not. Right, I'm not going to make that a bed of roses and flowers and so that we all feel good about it. It's just a bad. It's the ugly side of humanity, the side that we don't like to admit. And so that's that's kind of where we're at. While you're turning in your Bibles, there, uh, Mark chapter 15. I'm going to back up just a bit. And I want to explain something that's kind of driven us to this point. There is a theme in the Bible that is coming uh, to fruition. The, this this theme of atonement. Okay, And this, this isn't happenstance, and many people automatically assume that this idea began in the days of Moses. But actually, the idea for atonement began in the book of Genesis. It takes place as soon as the first couple sins. Adam and Eve, if you know it, they had the fruit from the forbidden uh, tree, right? They were tricked by the serpent, so to speak. Uh, all of a sudden, in their sin, they understand their nakedness, which is to say that for the first time, they see themselves in, in wrong they see, they see their unrighteousness. And to make them right or to cover them, God kills an animal. He uses their skin to basically cover them. Ironically, this is what the word atonement means. The word atonement means to cover. It means that because we are sinners, God had to, some, has to cover us. Has, there has to be something that covers us uh, and covers our sin. So uh, uh, the simple definition of atonement means uh, it it involves an innocent party taking the punishment that was due, a guilty party. So if atonement means to cover, then the idea was that through the act of atonement, our sin would be covered and God would no longer see it. But this wasn't like a quick fix or this wasn't a fix. Uh, Ultimately, humanity needed one of their own, uh, one who knew no sin to stand in, take the punishment that's due to all sinners And so Jesus, the cross, his death, his resurrection, are part of the plan that was set forth from Genesis 3, verse 15, where God is speaking to the serpent or the devil, and he says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike His heels. So this is where it all begins. What we're reading about now started here in Genesis from the very beginning, right? As soon as God uttered those words there in chapter 3 verse 15, the the idea for Jesus and the atoning sacrifice that's going to cover all of humanity is spoken into existence. I mean, just the same breath that breathed the world out from the void is the same breath now that cast this plan into motion. And that being the case, what we're looking at today in chapter 15 really is this, the divine will of God. Press forth from the beginning of time. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Genesis 3, men have just been formed. Sin has just happened. And the idea for Jesus has already been planted. Already. So that means from the time of Genesis to the time of Jesus... This plan has been placed into action. It also means that if God has placed this thing into action, there's not a lot of things in the Bible that circumstance or happenstance. It's divine providence. God is moving things. He's speaking things into existence. Isaiah 46, 8 through 13. get Get a hold of God right here. He says this, do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things that I have done in the past. This is God. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east. A leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do and I will do it. Listen to me you stubborn people who are so far from doing right. For I am ready to set things right. Not in the distant future but right now. I am ready to save Jerusalem and show my glory to Israel. It didn't happen because, hey, it'd be a good idea if this would happen. It happened because he purposed it. He purposed it into the heart of men. He took some men and he made them his own. He made them care for the things that he cared about, made them have burdens for the things that burdened him. This is what we hope to be. This is the power of God on full display. This is what our eyes are going to behold this morning Right? The cost, the sacrifice, the grimness of the, the darkness before the light. But these things had to happen. There's no way around these things. They were purposed long ago. And it's for this only reason, this atoning reason, that Jesus has come into the world. The whole reason we celebrate Christmas is so Jesus can be born to die. It's the only reason. Well, it's the birth of the Savior that we are all going to kill. And that he knew it. As soon as he's born, he knows what he's there to do. This is what makes this whole story amazing. It's why we celebrate. It's why we celebrate Easter. All right? We're going to talk about that today. Mark 15, verse 21. Let's pick up our text this morning. Are we there? Say amen. Amen. All right. A passerby named Simon who was from Cyrene was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Who names their son Rufus? Come on, guys. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now. They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. i got to remind you that Jesus has already been beaten within an inch of his life. We've talked about this over the last two weeks and really just to the point of sheer exhaustion. I mean, if you remembered from the time that he's taken up at the Mount of Olives from praying, right, he's already praying to the point that it's drops of blood are coming down from him. He's physically exhausted. He's tired. While the the disciples, remember, they were sleeping while he was praying, and he goes from praying to all of a sudden betrayed. I mean, he hadn't had just a lot of sleep. He's been praying all night while the disciples have been sleeping. They take him in the middle of the night. they, they, Put on this mock trial, this fake trial, right? I'm just going over the last couple weeks, and they begin to. Once they decide they're going to take him to Pilate, they begin to beat him right there. They begin to mock him right there. They begin to do things to him right then, and then by the time he gets to Pilate, as we talked about last last week, they decide, hey, we've heard enough. It's good enough for us. This will appease all the Jews. It keeps a rebellion down. You know what? Let's beat this guy. And you know what? I'm sick of the Pharisees keep coming to me as Pilate, right? Keep coming and going, you know what? They keep bringing stuff like this before me, and I'm always having to sweat whether there's going to be a rebellion. So how about we beat this guy within an inch of his life and make it so brutal and so awful that they'll, ne- they'll be so scared to bring anybody again? Because we want to make them feel bad about it. And why, why, why would Pilate want to do that? Because he knew that this guy was an innocent guy. He knew it, and he tries to wash his hands, but there's not enough water. We all know that. There's there's just no way, right? Jesus is he's exhausted, and this is a part of the Roman culture too. You know, the irony of the uh, of the day and age uh, of Jesus is that there is no such thing as an agnostic. Everybody's a believer in something. The idea that nobody that there is no God is foolishness in this day, right? There's no such thing. Right. Everyone believed in some sort of God. The Jews had Jehovah. The Romans had their gods. Listen, the Greeks had their gods. How many of you have heard of Zeus and all those? Right. They had their gods. Like, I know that sounds awesome. Like, you know, uh, Percy Jackson and stuff, but they actually believed in those guys like they were real guys to them. So this was normal. And, and I've talked about this on a Wednesday. One of the neat, I say neat things, if you're fascinated with history or culture, one of the things about the culture in that day, especially when you talk about the Persians, the Medes, the Assyrians, the Romans even, is, is be, nobody viewed death as a bad thing. Nobody did, right? It, it, death meant peace, peace from the harshness of life. How many ever thought, man, I mean, just for lack of better words, man, sometimes life sucks. I mean, sometimes a hard day is just horrible and it just beats you up. And you're like, really? I'll be glad when I'm just done with this one One day. I'm am... like how many like I mean, you know, especially as I see an older generation, an older generation, you will catch them going, you know what? I can't wait till the day I go home. Where there is no more bills. Where ain't nobody calling. You don't have to worry about a gossip. You don't have to worry about a rumor. You won't have to worry about what people think about you because it won't matter anymore. We're a place where there's peace and comfort. Listen, this is how they viewed it. No, Everybody viewed some sort of heaven or some sort of place, right? Well, in the process, this is the issue here. Death wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Death meant that you got peace from the harshness and tolls of this world. But here's the, the other thing. This also meant that death was not justice to the romans it was not justice to the jews it was not justice to the persians death was not justice death was an escape if somebody did something to you i want them put to death really where they'll never hurt again or do you really want them to hurt as bad as you do welcome to humanity i mean they would laugh at the way we do stuff oh you give people a shot and they just go to sleep and never feel pain but is that really what the victim wants? Is that what they really want? Or do they want them to feel the pain that they felt? I'm just being honest about human, our humanness and our depravity. If you wanted to exact justice upon someone in that day, then the only means to do so is to torture a person to the edge of death. If the person dies too soon, then the people might not be satisfied with the amount of justice they felt needed to be exacted. It's kind of a big deal. I mean, go look up history. This is nothing. I'm not teaching anything different. All right? This is normal history stuff. So in this situation, they beat Jesus to the point of exhaustion. He's been beaten twice over now, once by the Pharisees and their guards, and now by the Romans and their guards. He can't even carry his own cross anymore. I mean, it's bad. Normally, this is what they do, right? But he is so physically not capable of it, they have to find this other person. By the way, talk about a rough day for another guy. Like you're just like minding your own business and somebody just grabs you out of the crowd. And guess what your job is today? I mean, this is how it is. They offer Jesus a bit of wine, and now the scripture says drug with myrrh, but let me tell you what myrrh is, right? Uh, by the way, it sounds, or at least to me, when you first come across, you're like, a little bit of wine, a little bit of myrrh. Myrrh, by the way, is an antiseptic, all right? It's used kind of as a medicine back in that day, so it's a little bit of wine with a little bit of medicine in there, right? Probably make him feel a little bit easier, take the edge off kind of thing, uh, um, Why would they offer? I mean, it seems like a nice gesture, so to speak, but it's not really because once you understand that the object is to keep him alive so that he can endure more pain, then it's not so friendly. I was thinking about this, even as I come across it and studying it, I was thinking how horrible it sounded so, so good at first, right? Well, maybe this will help him deal with some of the pain. Maybe this will help him not feel, so to speak so he can you know somehow survive this maybe i mean like this seems like a good gesture but it's not i mean once you understand the culture what they're trying to do is keep him alive for as long as they can so he can endure as much torture as he can because this is what they believe is going to exact justice and make the people feel like okay it's good it's all settled now everything is good what i think is interesting is jesus says no they don't care about Jesus. They don't care about Jesus' feelings. They're, they're doing all this because Jesus is dying too fast for them. I mean, he can't even carry his cross. That's not the normal. They don't beat guys to the point of, they, that it ends like this, right? Because, by the way, there's two guys that are pretty much hanging on the cross by the time he gets up there, and they're going to outlive him. Which shows you it's not the customary thing to do is beat your subject to the edge of their life before they get on the cross. The idea is that they hang on the cross as long as humanly possible so they can suffer as much as they can before they escape. So that's what they're open for. How long can we do this? How long can we beat Jesus? How long can he hang there? How long will it take before he bleeds out? How long? That's what they're hoping. Right. So this torture it continues in the form of a cross, they nail each hand to the wood. They nail his feet. They raise him up as a spectacle before all of Jerusalem. The mockery continues. They took whatever clothing is and they're like casting lots where they think he's famous or something. Hey, if I got his clothes, it'll somehow be worth something on eBay. I don't know. It's a bizarre thing. Right? I just can't imagine. I mean, they dressed him more like a peasant. I mean, they took all the, the, the thorn off of him. They took that stuff. They put his old peasant stuff back on him. And then they're casting lots for it. I mean, it just shows how ridiculous this whole scene looks. What's Roman guards want with a peasant's robe? They place a sign above him. They're mocking his claim to his kingship. They sandwich him between a thief and a murderer as to devalue and destroy his reputation. The Jews that passed by shouted abuses. They also mocked him. The pastors and teachers of that day, they helped place him there. And they kind of led the way as they kind of scoffed him too. I mean, this is what is happening. This is everything that leads up. There's no sympathy for Jesus. They want this to last as long as it can. It's, this is human depravity on full display. By the way, depravity is something I say a lot. It's a theological term. Let me explain that term. Depravity is simple as this, man. is the understanding of sin. It's human sin, unrighteousness before the Lord. When you study depravity, depravity is a great thing to study. Let me tell you why. Because when you start to study human sin, even if you're honest with yourself and your own sin, all your the vain things about you the self things about you all these things when you begin to study it right it'll lower your view of yourself but it'll also raise the view of christ because the more you understand yourself as a sinner right the more you place the nails the hammer of you know in nailing jesus to the cross yourself the more you see yourself as the very guy that's doing all these things which we are We would have been just as bad. I'd love to think that, you know, not us, Jesus, but by the way, he had three friends that ate, slept, and drank with him every day for three years, and they all jetted. How many of you just take an Advil when you get a headache? We run for comfort as soon as we first feel pain. Think about that. We run for comfort as soon as we first feel pain. Jesus has an opportunity to take comfort in the form of wine and some some medication. And he chooses no. You know why? Because he's determined to die. Why don't you open your mouth and say you're innocent? Because he's determined to die because there has to be an atoning sacrifice if he doesn't there is no us there is no eternity there is no Isaiah 53 where the portion is divided amongst those who are strong enough to say that we believe in Jesus some of you I don't know if you've ever seen the passion if you ever have I've got a video set up for you real quick before we go on any farther just to kind of give us a visual it's rough but we're all adults pretty much in here so it's rough if you haven't seen it all right hopefully it works hopefully it works Mark 15, 33 through 41, at noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran to fill the sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink weight, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes down to, Comes to take him down, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, "This man truly was the Son of God." Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger of, uh, the younger and and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. There's no easy way to look at any of that. It just is the truth. I mean, sometimes the truth is just like that. There's no easy way to accept the truth. It just is. There's blood and sweat mingled together, and Jesus is raised up like a spectacle. And the Pharisees, they're feeling pretty good about it now. I mean, they feel like they've won. This is good. They're mocking him, right? This is the end of the ministry of Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. It's, it's over, right? We hear his last cries before leaving this earth. It rips up the curtain in the sanctuary, the temples in two pieces. You saw the video. What had been once covered, what had been once veiled off from everyone else will no longer be covered or veiled. God has made a way. One of the parting gifts of Jesus was an example of being the very thing he calls us to be. Even in his death, he was a witness to the non-believer. As the Roman officer who was there to witness his final moments, even came to the conclusion also that Jesus was who he said he was. I think a lot of times, a lot of times, Pain gets the best of us. And one of the examples we see here, even at the end of Jesus, is that even in the midst of pain, in the midst of misery, in the midst of being on the edge of death, his character never changed. Jesus is the same way before, and he is the same way during this entire moment. He's not going to act out now. It's not like all of a sudden, well, once we put him in the fire, we're going to see what his true nature is. Well, you've seen it. It's flawless. You've seen it, and the question I always come back, especially when I look at something like this, when I'm when I look to Jesus, which Romans calls us that we're called to imitate Him. We are called to be the image of Christ to this world. Well, if we're called to imitate Christ, when I am provoked by pain, what is my character like? When I'm going through a hard time, a rough ordeal. What is my character like? By the way, here's one thing I know about human uh, people. This is also part of the depravity is the many faces that we put on, right? There's the face that God created, and there's all the other ones that you have created, right? The one that puts up the blockade so that nobody can hurt you, for instance, or, or the fake person that always says everything's good when really it's you're dying on the inside kind of thing, right? And, and there's this part where we go through pain where some of that comes down, right? How many of you have ever seen that before? Like, man, let my wife not have coffee in the morning. And she can be not that godly. I know some of you ladies are surprised, but it's true. And it's funny thing. I mean, we laugh and we giggle at it, right? But it's funny how little little things can cause our characters, our character within us, right, to have issues. It's funny how pain can, can really reveal things about us that we might not even like. But Jesus in this moment, as he stands upon the precipice, His whole ministry has driven him to this moment, and he's in the worst pain of his life. He refuses the very thing that might help take the edge off, right? He refuses that and says, no, give it it to me all. We're going to end this thing. We're going to finish this thing. And even to his death, he is leading. He is leading. I mean, I hope we finish strong in the example of the one who modeled and, and imitates what this should be. In leadership, we say people watch us before they follow this. If that is the case, then this young Roman officer, he basically sat back and silently watched Jesus during this whole process, right? He was waiting for Jesus to respond back, but Jesus didn't. What was Pilate amazed of? Do you remember? That Jesus didn't say a word, right? Because how are we when people call us things, when people falsely accuse us, when people say lies about us, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to yell at people, right? We want to set the record straight. We want to, no, you don't, nobody should be saying things about you, this or that or whatever. Jesus just trusts the Father will reveal all things. The truth will come to the surface. And Jesus trusts the Father, and we see that in Christ. He, this Roman officer was waiting for Jesus uh, to curse the God that put him there. How many of you have questioned what God has done at times? Like, why would you do this, God? Why would you do by the way, don't you think maybe it's because it's what's best for you? I don't understand how. Of course you don't. You live down here. You're in the middle of it. Can I tell you, in combat, for instance, that's one of the areas where I have like, some expertise. In combat, I'm never hard. Rarely am I the one making the call. It's usually like, especially today, man, with the, the amount of technology we have today. Have you seen, how many of you seen, like, they've got drones everywhere, right? We have satellite footage of everything. They can see the combat from outer space, okay? So they know what's on the other side of the mountain. So when the troops are going, hey, we should assault right now. And they're like, uh-uh, because you don't see the whole army on the other side of the mountain. And, and by, the, by the way, the people on the ground are going, what? That's the dumbest thing. There's nobody here. We're here on the ground telling you, to, I know you can't see it because elevation keeps you from being able to see it. But I can see it. And oftentimes, this is how it is with God. This is how it is with God. You need to trust God. You need to trust God with the hardships of your life. You need to trust God that if you find yourself in a moment where hardship is winning, it seems like, have faith in the Lord. That it Listen, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as much as I hear so much people talk about, well, God is going to get you through it, and God will get you out of it. Listen, even if he doesn't, he's still God. We forget those stories, right? We forget the story of Jesus, right? He left him on the cross, by the way. God doesn't come down and take him off the cross. He leaves Jesus on the cross. Guess what? God's still God. All right? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, old story. Some of you know this by heart. If you don't, it's it's a simple story about young kids who believe in God so greatly. They're about to be thrown into the fire. Remember what they say to the uh, um, Persian uh, king? Like, whether he delivers us or not, or whether we burn in that fire, he's still going to be God. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, it's not going to change anything about how we believe, right? God may deliver me from this hardship. God may deliver me through this. You know what? I may die, but he's still God and it's still his purpose, his will. And I trust him for such things. Man, if that doesn't apply to your life, that's everybody here. Everybody here goes through something. Everybody here has had to face something and you've worried whether you were going to make it. And guess what? You do. I mean, unless it's like something like disease or something where you're facing something you don't have control over, I promise you the little things that happen amongst your family, those things like that will be resolved through time. Especially if you're seeking after the Lord. Because that's what the Lord does. He's in the business of reconciliation and forgiveness. And if you're going to imitate Christ, then you're going to have those things. And when it comes to human relationships, those are going to be easier things to conquer than outside things. Spiritual warfare, hard things to conquer. You need Jesus right there's some hardships that are beyond you and you need others and you better know when those need to happen as well people watch us they're constantly watching us like the roman uh uh the roman centurion there there he's watching jesus right he's waiting for jesus he's trying to watch his character right He's he's, This whole time he's been watching, right? He looked for Jesus to take the easy way. He looked, come on, man, take a little drink of this wine. Take a little drink of this antiseptic, this little medicine here, right? Come on, be smart about this. Try to stay alive here. Come on, fight for your life like every single other person does. But that didn't happen because that's not the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was here to atone for man's sin. He faced death head on. Had God forsaken Jesus? Never. Had God turned his back on him? Never. God allowed... Every moment of Jesus' life to take place in order that he might fulfill that which he begun in Genesis. To redeem mankind back into full relationship with himself. He created Adam and Eve to walk in relationship, in community, alongside him as friends. More specifically as children and heirs to the kingdom. Now in Christ this is done. This is done. The atonement is final. There's no need for animals uh, to be slain. Come on, if there's one thing we found out from the Old Testament uh, uh, to Jesus is that there's never been enough animals to atone for everybody. They've been, I I mean, have y'all read Leviticus? I know you haven't. Nobody reads Leviticus, but you should. You know what Leviticus is a good book for? If you're looking to be a butcher, you should read it. You know, it's a deer hunting season, by the way. If you want to feel what it's like, you know, say I haven't really gutted anything all season already. It's been a month of October, which is bow season. If you hadn't gutted anything yet and you want to feel like you gut something, read Leviticus. Because there's so much blood and guts in Leviticus, it's unreal. Like at some point, I'm thinking if you were a pastor and you didn't smell like meat and blood, probably not a good pastor. In Leviticus, that's true. Probably not a good one. I mean, I remember one time as I gutted a deer and my hands were covered. Like at one point, they're so solid red, right? And all I could think of is that's what it looked like to be an Old Testament pastor right there. Atoning for the sins, man, making sure all this stuff is burnt and all these things that have to go on with it. And they killed all kinds of animals. It wasn't just like calves and lambs. It's, It's birds and all kinds of crazy stuff. God was just constantly, this is what he was teaching them what it was going to take. He was teaching them what it was going to take. There aren't enough animals. So he sent Jesus. We needed Jesus, and so God sent him. And he didn't just send him just like like we, I love how we have this tendency to think globally. He sent him for all the world. That always sounds good. That always and it does. It's true. It's true. But the real truth is he sent him for you. Like make no mistake, Jesus. He's known you since before you were born. The Bible says, which means that when he went to the cross for you, that are sitting here that believe on him and call on him, Lord. He did this for you, to know you. He knows all of us, all of us. He did this knowing your name. When he went to the cross and said, it's finished, it was done for you. It's personal. It's personal. Mark 15, verse 42. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. You catch that? He couldn't believe it. How's this guy already dead? That's not normally how it works. Normally, we send him up to the cross, and, and it takes him a while. By the way, did you see what they did to the other guys it broke their knees. You know why? Because when you're hanging like that, uh, if you can keep yourself propped up, you can breathe. When your arms get too far out like that, you'll, you won't you will be able to breathe in as much and they die of suffocation is what they die from. How, how nice is that? You know, because listen, that's called justice back then. That's called justice. <clears throat> Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked him if he died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought along a a sheet of linen cloth, and then he took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it upon the tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Now, this is where things it would seem would be grim, and where the darkness would seemingly have won. But the cool thing is, this isn't the end. I mean, that's the greatest part about the story is that's not the end. That seems like the end, right? But it's not. Let me share with you something a little bit from my personal time. My mother-in-law shared this a little bit. And I've kind of been off and on sharing about it. It's funny, like when you're reading something, it tends to just come out. Or when you're in the middle of studying something personally, you know, you can't help but uh, uh, things come out. Especially as a pastor, you talk too much. You know, we say as pastors all the time, your heart better be right because eventually it's coming at your mouth. So, uh, one of the things that I've been doing lately is uh, listening. My mother in law, uh, I think last year for my kids, really brought, bought these CDs of all the books of Narnia C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. By the way, if you haven't read the books or listened at least to, the audio stuff of it, you're missing out, man. It's amazing stuff that is a lot of good stuff in there. So I get through this last part. I had to run to the lease this last week and, and check feeders and cameras. And I'm on my way back and I'm finishing up the last book. You know, it's called um, the, the Last Battle of Narnia. And uh, in The Last Battle, it's the end of the world there. And it's like the revelation moment for the Bible, kind of for this this book. And C.S. Lewis, he weaves all that stuff in, the, the theological stuff into it. It's so good. And I'm like... Crying on the way back, listening to this and thinking about like this is the end. I've watched these, I've listened to this thing now, all seven books, and it's taken a while to go through all of it, but I've listened to this whole thing and this whole series, and you get invested in characters like anything else. You know, girls, guys might look at me weird on this, but I know girls don't. They watch movies and bawl their eyes out all the time, and uh, I've got a whole house full of them. And and so, as I finish this last book, I tear up, and because you get to that point where it seems grim. And you realize that, that these, these characters have come to their end. And it's just a sad moment, right? But in this book, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, because he's painting this in the same brush uh, as heaven uh, and as uh, biblical as he can be, uh, we, we have this interesting, this interesting thing that he goes on and says, let me share it with you. And this is from the lion, Aslan. If you don't read the books, Aslan is a lion that can talk. And he is basically Jesus in these books. Uh, and he's about to speak. And he turns back and he looks to uh, these, these individuals who have grown up their whole life knowing him. All right? They've grown up their whole life knowing him. And they've reached the end of their days. They're, you find out they have died. All right, it's not a spoiler alert. You'll see, you got to read the books, figure out how it all works. But they've died at this point, right? And this is what he says. Listen, because this is good. The dream has ended. And then he gets really excited and he goes, and the morning has come. I'm about to cry talking about it. The dream has ended. This life has been just a shadow of what is. He says, the dream has ended and the morning has come. And then he goes, and then the book goes on to say, C.S. Lewis says, and as he spoke, Aslan, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was mostly the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventure in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Man, that is what Jesus secured for us. This life is a shadow of what's to come. There is a place, a green place, where there is no more hardship. There will be peace and happiness. As he says, the dream is over, the morning will come. And I don't know if you remember the scriptures, but what does it say comes in the morning? Joy. Joy comes in the morning. We, let's bring the worship back in. We, we might um, have closed this morning with Jesus sleeping in the tomb. But let me say this morning that that is not the end. We may have closed this chapter off with him, with him going into the ground, but that is not the end. It is only the beginning. And soon, even uh, for Jesus, it will be the morning. Even for Jesus, it will be the morning. And his morning... Is going to be shared with the entire world. And through his victory, we will have victory. And it's through his healing that we will have healing. And it's through his power that we will have power. <clears throat> because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I now have become the offspring of that which is prophesied in Genesis to strike the head of the serpent. It's good. <clears throat> We become warriors because he is a warrior. We become overcomers because he was an overcomer. All that stuff gets implanted into us now. It does not happen without the cross. Man, it doesn't happen. Listen, I tell you, I don't know about where you've been at this week or what you've been doing, but I can tell you, I've gotten to go meet some of the people who've lost their homes up in Kingsland. And man, it's pretty tough. Some of it, not so bad. Some of it are these homes where you're you know, you're right. They, they, they might not live there actually, you know, right now. And, and we're, we're helping them with some of those people. But I helped out somebody this last week that had like nine foot of water in their home and nobody's going to, where they're sitting at in a floodplain, nobody's going to give them a construction loan to get their house built. So they're going to lose every, I mean, they're going to basically, that's either going to be the biggest shed or they're going to have to somehow pay out of pocket and live somewhere else until they can build their own home. And even then, I'm not sure how wise that's going to be. I just know that they're facing a lot of hardships with that. There's still a lot to be done, a lot of work to be done. If that's something you're interested in, I want to I want to say anytime in the mornings you want to check in over at First or not first. First Baptist in uh, Kingsland, they're always uh, this is what they've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Also, there's a lot of people we need to pray for. Gene uh, who's who's been a part of our church since it pretty much began. Gene uh, is, is having issues in the hospital right now. Also, I've got my boss's dad. He came in this week, and I could tell. It's, it's on him heavy. His dad is needing a lung transplant. His dad's about the same age as my dad, and so it's, it's hard to watch him walk through that when they're so young. I mean, I think he's just in his mid to late 60s, and, and it's just grim. It looks grim. And it, it just it seems like right now there's so much that needs prayer. There's so much that needs to be done. There's so much help that that people are in need of right now. And as we even get ready this week to go meet people for Halloween and meet just understand that it, it, we we're going to go meet them. We'll shake their hand and it's going to seem like such a happy night. But one thing we never know and we want to make sure we're prayed up for. We have no idea what each family is going through. For that night and for Halloween, they're going to be whatever they need to be for their kids but you don't know what they're going through. You know what that means for us? It means that we it means that we put on a smile. It means that we be Jesus. We love them right where they're at. Don't judge them for what they're wearing. Listen, I know they might be wearing Freddy Krueger stuff. I don't care. We're going to love them right where they're at. We're going to love them for everything they are. All right? Because at one time, God loved us right where we were at. Just like we were, awful and all, full of sin, full of all those things, right? One thing I've always said no matter how much somebody tries to talk to me about somebody else or anything like that, I always say this: somebody plus Jesus is always awesome. It always equals awesome. Anytime, man, once Jesus comes into the heart of a of heart of a person, everything is off the table. Anything that you had pre pre ideas before, you can throw that out the window. Because as once Jesus is inside the heart, he will overtake it all. I mean, he will not be defeated. What does the song say? Death couldn't hold him down. We put him in the grave today, but that's not where he's going to be next week. Next week, he'll be out of the tomb. Next week, think about this all week long. Next week, we'll be celebrating. Yeah, we've taken a hammer the last two. Had to watch clips of the Passion, right? To get that visual in our brain. We all feel guilty. We all feel awful. We all know our part to play. But make no mistake, what does God say to you? I do not condemn you. So don't condemn yourself. You don't get to walk out of here today hitting a hammer on your own self. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to feel loved this morning. Jesus wants you to feel uh, appreciated this morning. Jesus wants you to feel happy this morning. He wants you to have the experience of joy. One day Jesus will say to you, like Aslan said to the kids of Narnia, the dream is over and the morning has come. Amen? Amen. Now let's worship Him this morning. They're so good.